0: Good evening. It's really good to
1: see you again. I'm I'm not from Minnesota, I don't get to come here very often, but the few times I've been here, I've really enjoyed myself, I have to say, and uh, so I'm glad to be here. Um, I live in Virginia, but I've only been there for a couple years. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm kind of a person, I like to know a little bit about the person I'm listening to to know whether I should listen or not. You know what I mean. Uh, so let me just tell you. I'll elaborate on that story that Paul started since you brought it up. I'll, I'll yeah. give a little context. I, uh, I actually grew up in Connecticut, uh, so I'm in New Englander. But ended up in school in Ohio. And in, while I was in Ohio, I started I started fencing with the uh, with the club there at the university competing. And when I uh, graduated, I got a job with Texaco. Texaco moved me far from home, far from where I ever wanted to be. They moved me to Texas. And uh, that was like going to a foreign country. Anybody here from Texas? Anybody from Texas? No? Well, I can say want. Okay, now I can tell the truth, right? <laughs> but uh, here I grew up in a place with uh, mountains and woods and streams. And I ended up on the moon. You know, It was flat and dry and brown. And I got there, I thought I'd made the biggest <laughs> mistake of my life. And I wasn't married. All I had was what I carried in a suitcase. I, I didn't even have a car. And uh, I, so I landed there with not much to do. So I, I, right away, I had to find a fencing club. So there was none. So I started one. And uh, I started giving lessons at the YMCA and uh, started competing. Turned out, pretty good competitive area. We would drive. I was getting interested in, I was in, in my church. I was teaching Sunday morning Bible class, and uh, the, the team was doing really well. I raised up a team, and we were competing. We would drive about six hours to San Antonio or San Marcos or, uh, or Dallas to compete, and the, the events were on a Saturday. And I had to be back Sunday morning for my Bible class, and all these guys, these pagans, they they you know, they'd go with me, and I, after the event, we would drive, be driving back getting in at 2 in the morning, because i got to be back from my Bible study, you know what I mean? I thought, wow, they were really good sports. But along the way, we, uh, I hooked up with a Hungarian coach. Uh, I would go to events in the Colorado Springs, that's where the Olympic Training Center is. And so I hooked up with a Hungarian coach, and he thought, you need to compete, you know, 1988, whatever it was, I don't know. So I, I thought to myself, is that, really, is that really God? And, you know, that idea just fires your imagination, you know, doesn't it? Don't we all want to be a star somewhere? And you're thinking, wow, you see potential in me? Really? I, I could do this? And uh, as I was thinking about it more and more, you know, um, I was advancing. I was competing on the national circuit and dropped. You know, I was stuck at 100 for, for a couple of years. I couldn't break under 100. And all of a sudden, I broke down to the top 40. And and you know it was going better and better and better, and I'm thinking, wow, maybe this is maybe this is something I can do. But as I was weighing that, uh, I, just, I started to think, God, is this you? What would happen if I actually did this? And I realized that to give yourself to an Olympic sport, Olympic endeavor, requires the highest level of commitment, kind of a commitment that almost makes your your wife. I was married at the time, you know, second fiddle. And more than that, I realized that it would have to make your faith, yeah. my faith, second place. Yeah. And it was, it, when I saw that, I really wanted to do it, you know? I really wanted to do it. But when I realized it, I realized I couldn't, because I would have to make fencing my God. And I, and in the end, I wasn't really going to do it. So what I did, though, I didn't go down easy. So when I said to God, I had to make a little deal, you know how that is? <laughs> so here I was teaching the Bible, and... Uh, People tell me I was good at it, and so I said, God, I'm gonna lay down my sword. My sword was foil. I was a foil fencer. I said, God, I'm gonna lay down my sword. I couldn't do it halfway. It was all or nothing. So I was gonna. I said, Okay, I'll give up fencing. I'll lay down my sword, But I ask that you give me the same ability to wield the sword of the Spirit that you gave me to wield the sword. And uh, that was November 1985. That's when that was. I know that's ancient history, and how many were born, before, you know,
0: after that. Right? Okay.
1: Um, but that mark, that marked something in me—the the willingness to surrender and to say, "God, all right, I'm yours. I'm yours." And this thing that I love so much—I don't want it to be something that I love more than you.
0: Amen. And, and what I found is that
1: you know, God doesn't always do that, but there are critical junctures in our life where we have to make a choice. And decide what's going to be our God, what's going to run our life. And uh, it can be almost anything. There are so many things that compete mm-hmm. for God. And what I've I always used to think, you know, raised kind of naively to think that the enemy of our faith was something evil. You know, it's the occult, it's, it's drugs, it's alcohol. But you know what? Very often it's the good that's the, the enemy of the best. Mm-hmm. The good is the enemy of the great. And uh, and I, there's nothing wrong with The nothing wrong with exercise. I called Paul this afternoon and they couldn't answer the phone. He he was out of breath because he was doing push-ups. You know, <laughs> so, there's nothing wrong with exercise. But the the, the, situ- the question is is where is that endeavor in your life? Is it first and foremost, or is God? And uh, so I laid it down, 1985. And here's what happened. It, by the way, this is not what I came to talk about. But okay. anyway, how much time do I have? You got plenty of time. Are you sure? Yep. Don't say that if you don't mean it. <laughs> anyway, here's what happened. I'll cut you off. I was in I was in the oil business. I was a geologist. I'm a petroleum, or was a petroleum geologist. And at that time, I was... Did I already tell you this story, Drew? Tell it again. A little bit. Did I tell
0: yeah, a story? A little... I think I did. A lot of different people.
1: In the oil industry, you can make a lot of money. Did you know that? <laughs> I was I was a young guy going to hang out with other folks in the industry and lots of talk about making it and retiring early. And I thought, wow, that sounds good. I'd like to retire by the time I'm 30. Wouldn't that be great? I was thinking if I retire by the time I'm 30, then I could I can I can I can compete as much as I want. You know, in fencing, I could do anything I want. I can I can pursue that Olympic dream. I could travel. I can study, do whatever I want to do. Money for me meant freedom. And I didn't you know, necessarily want it to get rich. I wanted so I could pursue dreams. And uh, and this was the kind of heady environment that I was in, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this. And God's not only asking me, hey, what about fencing? Because of the compelling nature of the gospel, I'm having to way, what are you going to do about the people who don't know about Christ? And it's taken in me so deeply that there are so many that don't even know his name around the world. Never mind, you know, have it open their life. And it, God brings me to the point of saying, "Yeah, I'm not just surrendering fencing. I'm going to surrender my life because I I feel like you're calling me." So that was 1985, 1986, three months later, February 1986, the oil industry absolutely collapses. My income, which was derived from royalties on production wells where I discovered oil and gas. Falls eighty oh. percent. I lose eighty percent of my income.
0: Absolutely.
1: I'm wiped out. I think okay, I'm all right at first. I've got reserves. I've put aside money in the bank, you know, to to pay for the wells that I'm in. In less than two in two months' time, I drilled two dry holes, and it completely devoured all of my savings because I'm paying out of my, you know, I, I wasn't borrowing. I was paying just out of cash. I thought I was conservative, and I was white Out, and I was left with nothing to do and no way to make a living. As I look back on that, I was so grateful that I said yes to God while I still had competition. You know what I mean? While I still had a business, rather than being forced into living for Him, Mm -hmm. I surrendered voluntarily. You know what I mean? Because if it had been the other way around, I don't want to have to be forced to serve Jesus. You know what I mean? He's so good, it wouldn't make sense for him to put a gun in my head and say, hey, serve me or die. And, uh, and that's, that ended up uh, the beginning of a journey for me to discover what's God's will in my life. Uh, a year later, I was in China. And uh, spent a year there with my wife. And then a year after that, I was in, in seminary. So that's how I became a pastor. It was not the way I thought it was going to be. And my wife, absolutely not the way she thought it was going to be. She told her mother when she was 14, I'm never going to marry a pastor. <laughs> and uh, she said, actually I didn't. I married a geologist. So, <laughs> But uh, anyway, that's just a little bit about me. Um, you all have something special here. You know that? I don't know if you know that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you do. You have something really special here. I'd have given my IT to be a part of this when I was in my 20s. Instead of trying to get rich, It would have been a lot better for me. Uh, 20s or 30s. Um, so I, I, I just want to commend you. If you're if you're new here, I don't know, you know, if you're new visiting, old timer. Um, this is this is rich stuff, from what I understand, talking to Paul. And uh, you're going to be laying stuff. There's going to be foundations laid in your life. And you're going to find yourself leaps, leap, uh, leaping ahead of your peers because of the foundations that are, that are here. I don't know what your goals, what your, your uh, aspirations are, but whatever they are, I know that God wants to bless you and through you to bless the nations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that I never thought I could compete in the Olympics. But we compete in a stage that's even greater than the Olympics stage. When we compete in supernatural stage. I I don't know if you know that, but uh, there is no more exciting adventure than giving your life to Christ and saying, "You do whatever you want. You do whatever you want." And I can say for that, for myself, I am now traveling to. uh, I minister to the underground church in China, and uh, I go there three or four times a year. I never, never imagined I'd have the opportunity to do that. Never. Never. I now minister with pastors who have more churches under their care than I had members in my church.
0: You
1: know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had like, like the 250 people in my church. And, and now I minister with pastors who have more churches, more than 250 churches under their care. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you surrender your life to Christ. That's right. You're not just competing in the Olympics. In the end, it was no contest. I didn't give up anything. God gave me more Mm -hmm. than I gave Him. And that's the way God works all the time. Mm -hmm. No matter what you surrender, no matter what you give up, Mm -hmm. you're never going to give more than He gives you. Before and after. And... I never saw it coming. I never saw it coming. I was one of these kids that had no clue what I wanted to be or do, but I saw that God used everything in my life, and it's bringing me to the point where I feel like I'm actually I'm actually making a difference. You know what I mean? And that's a wonderful thing. Now, how does God do that? I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. That be all right? It's one of the one of the questions that's been puzzling me that I've been uh, struggling with with my team and uh, there's a fellow here by the name of Tim you might know Tim Bentley here Tim, raise your hand he's uh, connected with the ministry I'm involved in too Tim's been to China and different places around the world too but one of the things we're struggling with is to ask the question is how does God transform lives how does he do that because I know for myself I sat through lots and lots of sermons that went in one ear and out the other how about you? no? I can't even remember I mean they didn't change a thing Except make me bored.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So how does how does God actually change people? What is the process? Um, would you say that Jesus was a good teacher?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I, you know I don't think he was a good teacher. Can I say that here? I don't think he was good. I think he was great. He was the best. He was the best. There's no better teacher. And. Uh, I want to look at a little piece of his teaching. And uh, do y'all have a Bible, or, or is there a Bible nearby? Am I, or should I read this to you? <laughs> Let me see. I want to, If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I, I guess I can highlight certain parts of this. Um, is that the best way to do it? Should I read? Sure. Okay. Let me read. All right. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm good. All right.
1: Now, <laughs> let me read this passage in Mark 9, starting at uh, verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when they were in the house, he asked them, "What were you arguing about when you were on the road?" But they kept quiet because on the way they argued about who was the greatest. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Busted, right?
0: <laughs>
1: Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, and the servant of all. I just talked about aspirations. I wanted to be rich. And what is Jesus saying? The greatest aspiration is not to be first, but to be last, and the servant of all. Now, would you characterize most Christians as having this mentality? I mean, honestly, it's, it's not common. It's, it's the exception when you meet someone that operates this way, right? Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus is saying, this is what you need to strive for. Mm-hmm. This is the goal. This is countercultural, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This is radical. And a lot of times when we come, you know, to maybe do a conference or teach, we want to hear some new insight from the Scripture. But what Jesus' concern was is, how have you incorporated this in your life? Because what's radical is that we actually apply the teaching to our hearts. And Jesus goes right to the heart and says, Oh, you want to be you want to get somewhere? Go to the end of the life. That's right. You want to get somewhere? Be the servant of all. And so then he takes in verse thirty-six, he takes a little child and he has him stand there. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, there's always I find that Jesus was a very skillful teacher. Anybody studying education here? Any, any, anybody from anybody in college studying education? Okay, all right. This is really great teaching. Wouldn't you agree? Um, Jesus uses a teachable moment, doesn't he? He catches them arguing, and in the midst of that arguing, what are the good teaching components so far? What do you notice? Anybody want to say? Even if you're not an education major. What what do you see as good teaching components? He well, asks questions. He asks questions. Yes. Excellent teaching. What else? Relational. It's very relational. Yes, absolutely. What else? It's
2: practical. It's
1: very practical. It's very relevant to where they are. What else?
0: It's a brilliant object lesson.
1: Oh, man. The object lesson is fantastic with this child, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. What else? Anything else?
0: He sat down
1: Okay, significance is... He them at their
0: level. Yeah,
1: he got down to their level. Mm-hmm. He's not lording it over them, is he? Mm-hmm. This is a great teaching from a great teacher, isn't
0: it? I
1: mm-hmm. want you to remember that. But What sparked this argument, do you imagine? Do you recall what happened at the beginning of the chapter, what was going on before this? Yeah. Yes, the, the transfiguration is what kicks this whole thing off. Who can tell me what happened at the transfiguration? Somebody summarize this. since I, I yeah, can't read this. Up in the glory. Right. And
3: he and His father was
1: there, and then
3: Moses and Elijah was right. there. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. And
3: then uh, Peter was like, Lord, Lord. Was like, we should just set up like, some boxes. We need
1: it. Yeah. 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 I want to stay here, right? <laughs> let's get our jammies on and <laughs> let's stay. This is great, right? Fasting in the glory.
0: Yeah.
1: Moses, Elijah, and. Uh, now, how many of the disciples were with Jesus? Three, right? What were the other ones doing at the same time? They, yeah, they were trying to cast out a demon, and how was it going for them? Not good, huh? It, it, they weren't making it at all. This demon was giving them fits, and it didn't come out. Jesus comes down that mountain with the disciples... And he asked them, basically, you know, what you've been doing? Actually, someone else came up and says, Hey, we asked your disciples to do this, to cast out the demon. And they couldn't hack it. And now, later, yeah, it's it the prayer and fasting. But what does Jesus say to them? Look at this rebuke. Oh, unbelieving generations, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Man, that's, that's tough. So at this point, how do you think the three are feeling? I mean, they've been—what have they been doing again? Let's review. On the mountain, they've been basking in glory, and what's happening to the the ones on the ground?
0: Being
1: They're being shamed. All right. Can I have a volunteer? Can I have three? Can I have? Can I have three to represent the ones over the mountain? All right. Good. One, two, three. All right. Now. I, and can I have a few others? I don't need I don't need eight, but or, but I I need some others to represent the ones that were trying and failing to cast out the deal. We're going to do a little improv. We're going to do a little role play. All right. Are you okay with that?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Good. Now let's see. This is the mountain up here. So I want the three to to, uh, to come over here. We'll get this. Let's see if we we'll move this out of the way. Now move this this way. All right. Are you one of the three? All right. Who's going who's to be a, uh, a failure? <laughs> <laughs> well, most people don't answer invitations <laughs> like that. All right. Come on. Come on. All right. All right. Yeah. Can I have them? No, yeah, you too. Yes. Yes. By all means. Anybody else? Anybody else? <laughs> Want to be the, uh, the the ones who tried to capture demons and didn't? Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Three work. Okay. All right. Now, so we're setting it up. Here's where we are. You're just coming down from the mountain, and you're getting the, you know, you're you're meeting your cohorts, and let it roll.
0: Okay.
1: Oh. I want you to think about what's your posture coming down the mountain. What's your posture? Yeah. What's
0: your attitude? What's your, what's your attitude?
1: Okay. Go ahead and meet. Let's let let it roll. Let's see what happens in this interaction.
0: <laughs>
3: You old enough to, huh? I
0: need to cast
3: out you. Oh, you don't know what I did? You don't know how I was I was there. that was so It was on a mountain. Got to chill with Moses and Elijah. We kind of you were trying to catch Got to do it? Oh, sex to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus uh, loves you anyway. <laughs> Where
0: is Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's praying.
3: We need a little help. Mom, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <not the> <laughs> Jesus is getting. Oh, he's with the mouth. I don't know. Are we, we good? <laughs> yeah. Are we good? All right. Let's hear it for him. Yeah.
0: So,
1: why do you think they were arguing? Look at this. Look at what's happened. Jesus has this teachable moment, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. We've got one group who's feeling what? What's what are they feeling? Bad.
2: Dejected.
1: Yeah, dejected, shameful. Uh, I've lost it. And another group feeling elated, self-righteous. Self-righteous. What'd you say? Proud. proud, yeah, proud, self-righteous, <clears throat> related. So Jesus now is saying, you know what? I've got to do something about this. And so He gives them a lesson. What's this teaching on? Basically, what's His teaching on?
0: Humility.
1: Humility. Humility. Humility.
0: Humility, servanthood,
1: right? He's saying, you know what, you guys, if you're, you know, if you're going to do this thing that I think you're going to do, I'm not sure actually. I, you're, <laughs> I was thinking about you guys being the twelve disciples, and I'm give you a great commission, but I don't know. But if you're going to actually be the ones to carry this plan out, we got to talk. So he sits him down and he, and he gives him this really good teaching on humility. And because he's a good—or not just a good teacher, a great teacher—and because he's got a great teaching, what's the what's the fruit? Great, huh? It's great. <laughs>
3: it's great.
1: It's got to be great. What was what was the outcome of this teaching? was it a good
0: teaching? Yeah.
1: yeah. It sure does look like it. But how do we evaluate whether it's a good teaching or not? exactly right there are they actually learning you don't know unless their hearts have been changed that's the measure now we evaluated it and it sure looked good we saw a lot of characteristics of good teaching but the real measure of good teaching is did they change amen you know what I'm saying how many sermons have you listened to with no change Yeah. too many right Now, let's see if they change. Turn to the next chapter, chapter 10, and you look at the verses, my numbers are really small, 35 to 45. 35 to 45. Somebody look there, and you tell me, did did Jesus teach effectively? I'm
3: guessing not. Yeah,
1: read it for us. Anyway, yeah, we'll read the whole section, the ten verses. Uh,
3: then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't. and Jesus replied, You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with Jesus, with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lords, lords over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Yeah. For even the Son of Man did not come to mm. be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many.
2: Wow.
1: Wow. So, what's the teaching on? Servanthood. Where have we heard this before? I mean, just a chapter ago, Jesus is teaching on humility and servanthood. He gives them a great lesson by a great teacher. And what effect does it have? Zip. Nada. Nothing. They're not changed. Jesus gives them two teachings. Does that do
0: it?
1: And let me ask you, do they ever change? Are they ever transformed? Do they ever become humble? Yes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, when? When can we definitively say the disciples are humble, they are servants?
0: After Pentecost.
1: After Pentecost. Alright, so tell me. Between this passage we're reading and Pentecost, what has taken place that has so transformed them?
0: Brokenness.
1: Brokenness. Say more about that. Who said brokenness?
0: Uh, Peter say more about the brokenness. Yeah. His own and Who's talking? <laughs> all right,
1: say it again, mom. Step and Man, your walls talk here. I mean, <laughs> go ahead.
3: No, so just Peter's, uh, Peter's, uh, you know, awareness of his own sin and being confronted with his weakness and uh, and being in despite all that, being loved really breaks him and equips him to be used massively, you know, in beginning in Acts two and, and so yeah. forth.
1: Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, Peter is broken by his own denial. And then, in spite of that, Jesus accepts him. Not only accepts him, restores him, and commissions him. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Imagine how humbling. You said brokenness, right? Did you say brokenness? Who said broken? Okay. Oh, that was you? Wow, okay. All right, what else transpired between Mark 9:10 and... They see it exhibited <laughs> in Jesus. Okay, where?
2: The death, I mean, the whole experience. You know, yeah. The way he handled the, the trial. I mean, only Peter and I think John saw the trial, but also just the way he handled the arrest. Yeah. Healed the soldiers'
1: ear while everyone else owned it right like that. Yeah, yeah. They see the way Jesus surrenders to humiliation and ultimately death. And they gotta realize, oh, this was the guy that I wanted to be at his right hand. I wanted to be enrolled in his government and he's taken it. He's taken it. That's what leadership looks like. That's what leadership looks like? Look again. That's what leadership looks like. What else happened? The Holy Spirit. Say, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely essential. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were working on their own, weren't they? They are trying to do everything on their own. And what they didn't have, they did not have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's good that I go away,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because unless I do, I, you know, because I do, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. another counselor. And he will be with you. And he will remind you of the things that I've taught you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then again, in John, John 20, he breathes on them. <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Acts 1. He gave the commission, Matthew 28, go. But then Acts 1, what does he say? Wait! Wait! (laughs) You know, it's like the army, right? Go! Wait! Go! Wait! Make up your mind. Don't go without the equipment. Don't go without the Holy Spirit. Don't go on your own!
2: Amen.
1: Wait until I've filled you, baptized you with the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, so what do we have here? We have a real strong spiritual component, don't we? If I had a board, I would make four, uh, a window that has four parts. Okay, can you picture that in your mind? I make a cross with a grid around it. So I've got four quadrants. Jesus is, is the greatest teacher. But what's interesting is that Jesus knows that everything doesn't rise and fall on the, the teaching that he gives them. The teaching is essential, but the teaching is only good seed that produces a harvest if it has good soil. You know what I mean by that? Amen. And the good soil in this case is what? It's some, somewhat spiritual. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's also somewhat relational. And that there's this reconciliation. Jesus is saying, Peter, I know you failed. You failed miserably. But I love you. I accept you. What this brother was saying. And thirdly, we have experiences that taught them. The experience of of failing themselves. The experience of having Jesus wash their feet. Right? That's John 13. That's the Last Supper. The experience of just looking at Him. And all together... This brings the teaching to fruition. Mm -hmm. And now we see men who are truly broken. Mm -hmm. Now we see men who are willing not only to give an hour a day, six hours a week to the ministry, but we see men who are willing to give their very lives.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And this, men who are willing to serve the least. How does Jesus change people? How do people change? You know it yourself. You've, you've heard lots of good teachings, haven't you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Haven't you? And they were good teachings by good teachers. But how often did they change you? What was missing? There's four ingredients in this particular recipe. Spiritual. Relational. Experiential and instructional. And it's when the instruction is, as good seed is put in good soil, those other three, that we get a great harvest. Now, you think Jesus cares about character? Stupid question, right?
0: Because
1: the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. And what's sad is that our society seems to just ignore the whole character question. Character is not in vogue now, is it? Is it? I mean, that's not hip. It's not even hip to talk about character. Now, how did Jesus train the disciples? Did he just, hey, let's just let it work out in the wash, huh? No. We can see that he was very intentional about his training. He didn't just leave it to chance. Well, I hope these guys get it by the time I have to leave. What did he do? We find that throughout the scriptures, Jesus deliberately set up experiences by which they would learn. And deliberately connected them in a relationship by which they would learn. In the feeding of the 5,000, do I have like just a couple minutes? To... In the feeding of the 5,000, it's really interesting, that particularly the, the portion in John 6, I'll, I'll connect this thought here. Let's see. John 6, if you want to come here with me. John 6. The multitudes have gathered and uh, it's getting late and Philip is kind of concerned about how are we going to care for all these people? And he comes to Jesus uh, with a question. He says, where shall we find bread to bless for these people to eat? And here's, our, here's, the, here's the next verse. Verse 5, I think. It says, Jesus, he, asked this only to test them for he already had in mind what he was going to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now think about that. Mm-hmm. Just think about that. What's Jesus up to? What's it, what is he up to? What is the design? Again, those of you that be into design or, or education, what's Jesus up to? Teachable moment. Another teachable moment. But in this case, he's not utilizing one. He is... Creating one. You see this? Isn't this amazing design? Jesus can utilize the teachable moments that comes along, but he can also create a teachable moment. Mm -hmm. And how does he do it here? He deliberately puts stress on them. Mm -hmm. The disciples are overwhelmed by all these this mob, and they're wondering, hey, another translation says, Hey, Jesus, send them away. (laughs) You know? Send him to McDonald's. We, there's no way we could feed him. You know? We, we, didn't, we didn't bring enough. And Jesus says, No, you feed him. That's what he says. You feed him. Now why would he do that? He knows that people learn by doing. In the same way that you're learning here, I, I have a sense that this is what happened this is what's happening in this group. That you're hearing that a lot. No, no, you do it. And that's the way Jesus thought. You do it. But he gives them this challenging assignment. And he says, you feed them. Now, what is the reasoning behind this? I think he's trying to confront them with their own inability. Right. Who said brokenness? Somebody said brokenness earlier.
2: Same guy. We got a Okay. <laughs>
1: a prophetic wall, I think.
0: you a teachable <laughs> no.
1: um, Jesus says this to test them. He wants to see what's their character. And he wants to see where they'll turn for their resources. So they're not getting it. They're still not getting it. So Jesus says, what have you got? He leads them along. And, and you know the answer. They've got what? Is it two fish and five loaves? Is that right? Or, or five fish yeah. and two loaves, which is it?
0: Five, five
1: loaves and two fish, thank you. Right? Just saying that to test you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway, so they bring it. Now, this, is, this is, is really fascinating to me. They bring what they have. They bring it to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He
2: prays,
1: he prays first. Jesus brings it to the Father. And then what happens? Then he breaks it and they distribute it. And we know the miracle. We know the miraculous story that... Every single one of them, 5,000 plus. That was just the men, by the way. The 5,000 was just yeah. the men. So we're not even counting the women yet, or the children. It feeds everybody, and they have enough leftovers to take to the potluck.
0: <laughs>
1: now, what are they, What was Jesus teaching? What was the lesson? What was his objective? Faith, yes.
0: He's the
1: ultimate resource. He's the ultimate resource. Say more about that. I mean,
0: if you have a need, he has it covered. You
1: just have to go to him. Now, isn't that interesting? How many of you are ever in situations when you feel like, you know what? I don't have enough. Fill in the sentence. Just for a moment. How would you fill in the sentence? Say to your neighbor, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough brains. I don't have enough muscle. I don't have enough looks. What is it that you're saying inside your voice? What's your voice saying to you? What's, what's that sense of depravity in your life? I don't have enough. Say it to your neighbor. What do you think? If there is something you feel like it's lacking, what is it?
0: Sleep. Uh, sleep. Yes. <laughs> Anybody? <Yeah. laughs>
1: I grew up thinking I, did, I didn't have enough brains, you know? I grew up thinking I am not... I'm not up to speed. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough, you know. I didn't have enough mentoring in my life. I didn't have enough
0: this
1: talent. Just mm-hmm. shout out a few things. Could some of you say a little louder what were things that you, you're thinking? Hey, I don't have enough
2: courage.
1: Courage, great. Time, Time. energy, energy, faith,
2: power, faith.
1: Yes, power. What else?
2: Intelligence.
1: Intelligence. Yes, what else? Money. Money. (laughs) That's practical. Now, what's what's the pattern? Jesus is saying, bring the little you have to me and watch me multiply. Bring it first to me. And then let's see. Let's see. And sometimes it's we need to bring ourselves, don't we? You say, Jesus, you know what? I just don't feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like i measure up. I'm not enough. I'm what's lacking. Because I'm just not good, And I feel fatally flawed. I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to get it. And so we bring that. We bring ourselves to Him. And we say, Jesus, the only way I'm ever going to be enough is if you build the gap. Multiply the little I see. Now notice that this would you say this is an important teaching for men who are going to actually carry out the Big Commission? Would this be an important teaching? No. You don't have resources. Is, is that a rare or a common experience in life, you know? I mean, it happens all the time. Whether you're in ministry or not, you don't have enough. And so Jesus is giving a great lesson that they're going to use again and again and again. And how does he convey the message? he sets them up. <laughs> oh man! Does Jesus ever teach? Does he ever give a teaching on this? How about right around this time? Does he give a teaching in John six? Is there a teaching? Of
2: course.
1: What is there? Okay.
0: All right. Eat my body and drink my blood. Okay, is that related?
1: Okay, all right. That that is a teaching. Or let me put it this way. Is there a teaching related to this topic that you don't have enough, but if you bring your little to me, I'll make it more than enough? Does he ever teach that? Does he ever say that? It's not a lesson with words. But is it a teaching? Absolutely. But isn't this amazing? Jesus teaches, and what made him a great teacher was that he knew that sometimes words were not enough. And that's what I'm trying to say to you tonight. Is that sometimes words are not enough. A teaching is not enough. And the only way that God can get something through our thick skull is by putting us in the furnace. Putting us in the deep end of the pool where we're thinking,
0: "Ah, I'm not enough!
1: Why? Because one of the most important things we can learn is not to look to ourselves, but to look to Him. And this is the measure of maturity. To be mature is to know our limits. To be a person of faith is to know that all our needs are supplied in Him. Amen? Amen? And so Jesus has to use the most effective way of teaching it, because words are not enough. And so what does He resort to? The greatest teacher experience. Mm-hmm. The school of hard knocks. Uh, mm-hmm. So I want to tell you, is anybody in the furnace right now? Anybody in the furnace?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know the promise of being in the furnace? Something about gold being refined? Mm-hmm. Read that passage of Peter. What does suffering do? What does the furnace do? It produces an
0: eternal weight of glory.
1: Amen. And how does it do that? One of the things it first does, it exposes the impurity. We're I mean, looking at the refining process, okay? I was not a hard rock geologist, I was a soft rock geologist. I don't know if you knew there was a difference. Do you know those hard rocks and soft rocks? Do you know
0: that?
1: I was a soft rock geologist, not a hard rock geologist. By the way, that's mining versus petroleum,
0: mm-hmm. okay.
1: sedimentary <laughs> versus metamorphic. Communities.
0: Anyway. <laughs> okay.
1: Did I just lose you? All right, I will, I'll get you back. All right. So what do you do? You melt, you melt it down, and the impurities rise to the top. The furnace exposes our impurities, our character flaws. Hey, you ever notice? When you meet somebody, you find out you're going to be roommates. Then you start living together. What happens? What happens? Yeah, right. Remember this from last time I was here? Remember that? Huh? You remember? Just get
2: married.
1: He first exposes. Yeah, just get married. So he exposes it. So it's revealed, and then after it's revealed, then it can be refined. So God will put you in the furnace from time to time because it's one of the best teachers and not just a teacher it's one of the best ways to refine your character character is the essence of what a being being is Mm -hmm. so refining silver ore the character is pure silver anybody know the symbol for silver? A-G-A-U A-U is All alright so It's filled with impurities. So the only way to make it pure, is, or the the most reliable way, is to melt it. And what I want to say to you is that when you think you're farthest from God, it may be when you're actually closest to becoming the person He wants you to be. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because you could be going through the furnace right now, or... It could be coming up a year from now, ten years from now. And I want you to know that it may be one of His most severe mercies. But it is one of His most effective ways of making us the people He wants us to be. People who can be trusted with His mission. So He allows the disciples to melt down Doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Well, what does he do? He fills them with the Spirit. He receives them. He accepts them. He restores them. And then he sends them out.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I guarantee you, they have no regrets. Amen? Amen? So I want to bless the work he's doing in you right now. The work of character formation. And I don't know what kind of ministry you do, but I think it would be great Maybe to pray for people that are in the furnace. I heard you talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it feels like. It must feel like you're going to die. And uh, but I want you to know that God is never without purpose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And even in the midst of that, His eye is on you with the greatest purpose in mind. Amen?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To make you more like Christ. Um, Paul, I'd love to pray for people, but let me just ask what you're discerning and let you know the timetable
2: and how things work around here. I would like you to pray for them as a group, and then I would like them to pray for each other. And then at 10 o'clock, when we're done with the small groups, then this room becomes the prayer center. And those who want more prayer, we hang around, love to pray for anybody Extended time, God really wants to give us this message because it's come a couple times tonight before oh, you really? spoke. So uh, really? you you pray over us and then I'd like us where you are just spin just uh, after we pray just spin in a little group of two at the most three most three just spin together and then ask how can I pray for you what are you going through or you can share. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's the struggle that I'm having. Can I get some prayer? So you pray first for us. This is a good message, important message, that God, God's willing to frustrate us, willing to put us into tests, and then let us see. We just said something about failures. God, we need to see that we can't do it. So you, uh, you pray for us.
1: Let me first say that I uh, I didn't I wasn't such a good student in the school of failure, and uh, so I'm praying for you as someone who didn't didn't pass uh, didn't pass the test, and I had to I had to go through it again. Um, so I say to people now I say don't waste your sorrows. That's what mm-hmm. I say don't now. Mm-hmm. I won't unpack that, but just leave it to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your mercy. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I want to acknowledge, as we talk about this, that I know you are a merciful God. Yeah. We know that you are a God of grace. We know that you never put us through what is beyond our ability to endure it, with you present with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I rejoice in the, in the picture we see of the three men in the fire, mm-hmm. that it, they were not there alone. That in the midst of their most severe testing and trial, in the midst of a literal furnace itself, that they were not alone. But that you were in fact there, the fourth man with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I just rejoice that that is your character. Mm -hmm. That is your character to be with your people to never leave us or forsake us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I say that knowing all of the contradictions and hearing from my own friends and family, the struggles that they face in the furnace, and saying, where's God? This is baloney. And so I pray for those who want to shake their fist at God now. And I ask, O Lord God, to be present. I ask You, O Lord, to reveal Yourself, and I ask You, O Lord, to bring them through, and to breathe in them the breath of the Spirit when they have no breath of their own to breathe. I ask You, Lord Jesus, to give them what they need in the midst of all of their lack, to give them more and more and more than enough, not to get back on their own two feet, but to stand up on Your feet, not to stand up in their own power, to stand up in your strength, mm-hmm. and to be men and women of God who are changed and people who will change the nations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I pray, O oh Lord, that you would build in them what is more precious than gold itself, and that these circumstances would not be wasted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I pray, O oh Lord, that then when they arise again, there would be times of refreshing, but they would arise mm-hmm. as people purified in their
0: character
1: made healthy made whole made virulent in the spirit of God and the word of God so I put them in your hands O oh Lord God and pray that you would surround them with your love that you would hold them in your arms and that you would weep with those who weep and then allow them to come to that time where they can laugh and laugh with you and rejoice with you in the great things that you have done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We ask for your blessing now.
2: Yeah.
1: And we ask it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord